Hello and welcome to the CADcast, a podcast by the Center for Asian Art and Design, CAD, an interdisciplinary research center of the School of Art, Design and Media at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. The CADcast is a new project that presents a series of conversations on Asian art, design and media practices around the world. We've launched the CADcast as a way to connect with creative practitioners from all over Asia during the COVID-19 pandemic when international travel has greatly slowed and collaborations have pivoted online. I'm Karen Un, Principal Research Fellow at CAD, and today I'm very pleased to welcome Eva Natasa, founder of the eponymous design brand that creates furniture that inspires mindfulness in daily life. Welcome, Eva. Hello. Would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and your background and also introduce Eva Natasa, the studio and the brand? I am Eva Natasa. So basically, I've been always interested in design since I was small. I think I've been always very creative. Like I used to like maybe taking the sands or the leaves or anything organic around me and I always try to turn it into something. But then when I grew up, actually, my parents decided that it's not a good idea to be a designer. But I insisted. So the closest thing, I think like sort of the most serious design that I can study was interior design. Because in the way you can say sort of architectural, there is technical drawing. So it's not really because they were really against, for example, fashion design. For, For them, it's a bit too much like flamboyant, too much design, whereas interior design, I can always justify it as something a bit more technical. So I go on to study the interior design. I practice it for maybe around three months in Jakarta, only to realize, not that I don't really like it, I feel it's not my dimension. It's too big. I like more something which is like smaller dimension, like a pen or a book, that kind of size that you can hold with your hand. So I decided, okay, maybe I will just go and do my master in industrial design in Milan. And after I graduated, I worked in Design Group Italia. Basically, it's like a design agency. So during that period, we designed a lot for consumer product, like for Unilever, 3M, Post-it, Scotch, Scotch Pride. So we designed many of them. So I learned a lot in the design process and also learned how to work with uh, working with lots of big corporations and being quite young that time. It was both exciting and terrifying that you are young and you as a designer, but what you do affect millions of people. Because, for example, when you design a toothbrush, they don't produce one or two or three toothbrushes. Like the company would make, I don't know, millions of toothbrushes. So if you make something wrong there, actually, then it will affect millions of people. Everything that you think you do on the paper actually become real in people's life. It was, like I say, exciting and terrifying. I really love the design process, but somehow that I'm kind of feel there is something missing. I think inside me, I didn't really understand what until I come back to Indonesia. I don't come back to Indonesia because of that. I come back in Indonesia because that time I was married to, to an Italian and then my family want to throw a big party. So I came here only for a holiday, ended up staying until now. <laughs> That's basically the story. But then it was also a good time to, to take like sabbatical year to understand if I really love design, if this is really what I want to do. I still do like part-time projects with the design consultancy in Milan. And in the same time, exploring around and totally fall in love with wood. Not with the product, not with design, but with wood. So and then start to think, what can I do with wood? 
So doing lots of research and finding out that actually in Indonesia at that time, there are not so many designers. Most of the people here, if you use the, like say, wooden furniture, is like the reject of the export of furniture industry that mm. is very big in Indonesia. So obviously, because it's a reject of the export, actually the ergonomy doesn't really match. Everywhere I sit is like not comfortable. So <laughs> I started, okay, why, why don't I just start uh, to design furniture? In the beginning, it was only for myself. I don't have any deadlines, just do whatever it takes to create something nice and comfortable. So I do lots of research. I went to see how the wooden furniture industry in Indonesia. I never really thought I was going to live in Indonesia. I never really look at wood. So I was very, very focused, a pure like industrial designer. After I do my furniture and then many people see it and they start to ask me, why don't you just produce it? So that's how the furniture brand was born. After five years, there are lots of people who ask for collaboration. And I think it's also pretty nice to do something a bit different. So I thought, mm, why not I just make the studio Eva Natasa so we can start to do other things than furniture. So that's basically how I got started. Interesting. So you came sort of home to East Java. And yes. then at some point you ended up moving the studio or establishing the studio in Bali. Can you tell us a little bit about what informed that decision and why you're committed to staying and practicing in Bali and in Ubud? Well, because of my husband, it's sort of romantic. When we first come to Indonesia, I thought the best introduction for Indonesia, I think for me, is Bali because it's the culture and it's beautiful. And then you feel that like you're going on a holiday and we were on holiday. So we went to Bali my husband is, a, is an artist, so fell in love with Bali and he never want to leave. Obviously, then if he doesn't want to leave, I can't leave. So, <laughs> so I am here, I'm in Bali. But it was good. I think sometimes something that is unexpected was pretty good. So yeah, I started the sabbatical exploring around. He still want to live in Bali, so here we are. I've read a little bit about your philosophy, but I'd love for you to share your design philosophy in your own words. Many people call us like, you know, slow design, but I just do what I feel that time because maybe coming from Milan, everything was very fast. Working with big corporations is everything is about numbers and deadlines. So I think somehow I didn't feel it was quite right in terms of maybe with the material that I fall in love with, which is wood. I think wood is like you work with another person because you work with a living organism. So what I try is I try to respect the wood I love the wood. I love the tree so much. Sometimes I call the tree like my best friend. You have to also listen to the material, to the tree. I try a very different design approach. I was pretty lucky because that time I managed to save quite a lot from my previous work. So when I do a lot of research about my own furniture, I don't have any like budget restriction. We live in a very simple way, but then I do lots of research. It's like why in Indonesia, for the local people, they don't really use good wood, why all of the wood are imported. I do research of so many problems. So the research is not about beauty or try to design something. But I think that time I was trying to solve the problem. The problem is like, there is not so many furniture designers in Indonesia. And strangely, not so many furniture in Indonesia that use high quality wood. Can you tell us a little bit more about the forest where you have sourced the wood for your work? We source it from the forestry that is owned by the government. We don't support like illegal lodging. 
So everything has to come from the government forestry that in Indonesia called Forum Perhutani. There are not so many of them that is certified by FSC. And it's not always all the time we can get it from the Perhutani that is FSC certified, but we always try our best. Because I have to say the infrastructure in Indonesia for young designers is not very easy. There are lots of big companies and they will buy thousand meter cubics of wood. And then there is, for example, designers or very young brand like me, maybe we buy only 10 meter cubic of wood. So in the end, you're becoming like the minority. So you cannot get good price. You cannot get good wood. It's pretty tough. But fortunately, uh, we have a team that can choose the best from what is available. And we also don't really compromise. For example, we don't want to use young tree. The tree has to be mature enough. So it's stable. So you, the furniture is also stable. In the end, you can use it for a long, long time. So I think that is another approach to be sustainable. So we did it without realizing it. Fantastic. So I know that you work mainly with teak wood. Yes. Is there a particular quality or material property of teak that makes you extra excited to work with it? Or is it more that that's sort of the wood that fits all of these criteria in terms of being able to you know have sustainability the availability oh yes it's a conscious choice that we use thick wood because thick wood can produce uh, oil to protect itself from the termite you don't need chemical if you work with thick wood while other wood also maybe they were cut too young so many termite likes to eat them so what they do is they dip the wood in the chemical solution so that the termite wouldn't eat them with thick wood, the mature thick wood, you don't need to do that. And actually, you don't really need to do finishing because by the time, they will develop the patina on their own. So that's why we always use thick wood and only 50 years and older wood. We have so many requests saying like, oh, we love the design, but can you do it with the cheaper wood? Because the older the thick wood is, the bigger it is and the more expensive it is. And we always say no. We are actually quite well known of a furniture brand who say no. It doesn't matter how big is the order. If it doesn't follow our criteria, we always say no. And then people start to label us sustainable, slow design, because we don't like to be forced. And they always have to follow our specification, which is, I think, is important. And we are okay if they don't want to work with us. I think that's a really important lesson for designers to learn and internalize. And it's hard to really accept that, you know, often the best thing that you can do for your business or for your designs is to be willing to say no, to walk away from opportunities that just aren't quite the right fit. Yeah, but sometimes I do feel though if it's right or not, but I don't know what I can say is we do what we feel. So let's say we like our freedom, but to be able to do that, you also have to make other sacrifice. We try to keep the team as small as possible. We are very, very small. So you don't really have very big overhead. In this way, you can grow slowly and organically without sacrificing what we believe. We used to be bigger, but then now I think we are only three. This is also another conscious decision. We used to have our own production, but then more and more, we feel that when you have your own production, actually, there is so many elements 
that you really have to consider. And then you cannot really concentrate on what we love doing the most, which is design and research. So what we do is slowly, slowly we dissolve it, but in a very organic way. So we start to work with partners, with other manufacturers. We teach them our way. We are very peculiar, not that we work with everybody. So we are a client, but we are also very picky. I think it usually takes maybe two years. We interview them. We ask about how is their waste management, how to do the wood. And we also insist on our design philosophy because we see it in the way to also spread. If we keep it contained in our own production, not many people will understand. If we work with other manufacturers and we can also make them believe that this is that we think is a good way to go, I think it's nice. Many of other designers say that, wow, it means that you are too much generous with your knowledge, but I think knowledge needs to be shared. Yeah, I think that's interesting to hear from you because that's definitely something that comes up in the industry of, you know, what do you need to protect and keep to yourself and what can be shared? We do protect ourselves. For example, all of our design, we have the patents. And obviously, before you work, you do a lot of discussion. That's why it also takes two years. And we also do lots of paperwork behind it. So professionally and then in the paperwork, everything must be done correctly. That's why it takes quite long for us before we decide to work with the manufacturer. I think it works quite nicely because we started with one. And then now we work with three manufacturers, we work with lawyers. It is equally important. The work that the lawyers do, all the paperwork, patent and everything is also as important as the work of design itself, I think. And also there is another element of business. Let's say like this, if you just want to be a designer, I think it's simpler. But I think to own a brand is a different story. Yeah. I think another aspect um, that would be kind of mysterious or opaque to a lot of young designers is the question of distribution and how do you work with people who want to carry your products or you know how do you negotiate something that feels right in terms of the scale of production that you're interested in. Do you have any platforms or particular distribution relationships that have worked well for you? Living in Bali, I think things happen organically. Because this is a place of holiday. So, for example, if you're a very important buyers from abroad and then you go to Bali, you have a different kind of state of mind. And then you go around and you discover. It's different when you go, for example, into a fair, you are in, in the state of mind of like totally business. So location-wise, it's quite an advantage for us to be in Bali. We don't have so much experience in doing fair. We don't really do lots of fairs. I think you have to, one, you have to really believe in what you do and you really stand your ground if you can be strong in social media i think that's also good because there is many people who will find you on social media and about the stock and how much you have to produce that is a bit delicate i'm not really sure it can be taught like with words you have to be there trial and error of course we make lots of mistakes ourselves we first make a warehouse and we share with other people this doesn't work you have to have an allowance to do trial and error if you want it easier, so you just be the designer and then you let the brand who hire you do all of the work, like about the distribution. So you do the design job and then the rest, the brand will manage. Because I think to collaborate is also good because at the moment I really do everything by myself. So I think our next step, we really would like to collaborate with other designer and produce their design. This might be like asking if you have favorite 
children, but do you have a favorite piece that's part of your line that you can tell us a bit about? So far, we only have one collection. So and to design that, it takes only the design process, 11 months, and to design production process is a year. So I think all of them are my favorite because they were designed for me, for my need. Maybe the chair. I started by wanting to design a chair, but I can tell you that designing a chair properly is very difficult. And finally, I think that's the last piece of the collection. I designed the chair and then I was able to move on to the second collection. So basically, I think the chair have a very close relationship with your body. It kind of dictates how you sit. So dictate your posture. That's why there is, for example, the throne for the kings because it makes you feel like superior. Or if you want to be serious, you, you choose a different chair. Or if you want to be slouchy, there is another chair. So chair is actually very important. I didn't really know what kind of chair that I want to design. It really took me since 2010. So I think in the end, the chair, it represents my love for the tree. So the design is very simple, but I just really want that the people see the very good grain. It's made from the thick wood. And we try to design it like the production process as minimum and as effective as possible to respect the tree. And I'm very happy with it because we use very good quality thick wood. I don't really need to hide anything. I think the moment people start to hide anything is because if you use not a very good wood, you see some green which is not so nice, and then you try to hide it, you try to put some, let's say, makeup on it. So in the end, the chair represents me very much. If you see me in person, I don't really wear makeup. All the furniture, sort of, they don't wear makeup. Unless, for example, the client requested some kind of coating because they like to use it for food. I don't mind when my, my table getting dirty and I always have sandpaper because I'm very handy. You know, I can sandpaper it myself, but I can understand for some client, they want to just wipe the table and that's all. So we provide the finishing, but this finishing is also new. We do a lot of research to find a finishing, which is zero VOC, volatile organic compound. So we want to make sure that this is plant-based, it's good. I think it took us eight years to really find, okay, this is like the right coating that we can use. Before that, every time they ask me, I always say, we don't provide you with any coating. If you want to coat it yourself, yes, please feel free, but not from our hand. The statement that we don't really want to use any coating is because I want you to touch the wood and also no upholstery, nothing. So it's like you and the wood. You touch table made from the wood. You sit on the chair, which is made from wood. You can really feel it, touch it. It's very nice. <laughs> I really love wood. If I'm sad or something and then I'm being near the tree or near the wood, I will be very happy. Really beautiful. You know, I've heard quite a lot about how having plants just in your home and touching plants or flowers is something that is just very good for human beings and wellness in general. But of course, it makes sense that a tree or the wood that comes from that tree is also on that continuum and that people really should have these materials as part of their daily lives. Somebody asked me, why is it different? And I said, I don't know, because I think since the beginning, we treat it with love. So every single step in the production is also we treat it with respect, with love. Even though you cannot see it, I think it translates to the product. I make so many connections with my furniture. For example, somebody will sit in the cafe, sitting on the chair. Many cafe owners will tell me that they turn the chair to see what brand is it. And then they will email me. And I even once sit in the, in the cafe that have my furniture. 
and somebody was writing me an email that I was receiving it in front of him. He didn't know. He was in, in Bali. I was sitting in this cafe that had my furniture. And I suddenly received this email saying, like, hi, I'm sitting in your chair and it's very nice. And I'm in this cafe. I just want to tell you. And I was like, okay, I'm sitting in front of you, but I will pretend it's not me. So I guess people can feel it even though they cannot see it. It's very interesting because I feel like that's completely connected to how you were introducing your early practice in industrial design and consumer products and understanding that there is an interaction and an impact on people and people's lives mm-hmm. and that you know you feel the obligation as a designer to create something that will impact their lives. See that literally playing out with the furniture and with You've already started to talk about this a little bit, but as part of the CADcast series, we've asked each of our interviewees if they have advice that they wish they would have had as a younger version of themselves or perhaps younger practitioners. I guess to be more patient. I think when I was younger, I was always in a hurry. When you are actually calmer, you can have more clarity. So your action is based on awareness can see things in a more 360 degrees not only from one angle so you can see it from so many angles well is that when your mind is so busy and you are too focused you are like single-minded you just focus on one thing and you ignore the other facts was very intrigued by uh, the positioning of the Eva Natasa brand as a brand that inspires mindfulness in people's daily lives. So it sounds like it's a little bit connected to this overall advice of patience and mindfulness. Can you tell me how you came to articulate this as a core principle for the business? It's really how I live. The way we live is actually quite simple and slow. I realize this every time I go back to Milan, which is quite often, I feel that I walk in slow motion in a very fast-paced movie. In the way, my furniture really translate that feeling. When we, for example, have a show in Milan, actually people really do stop and they really want to touch and feel the wood. And many people actually ask me something like, is this real wood? <laughs> and I say, what do you mean? Because it looks so perfect. And I say, it is real wood. It's kind of also makes people question things. I think it's nice because it opens some things in your mind. That's why I say mindfulness. So you start to, oh, actually, real wood is very nice. You want to touch it and evoke something in your mind. Yeah, I think this is often the question is, is it real? Because often natural materials are almost too good to be true. We're so oriented to things being kind of like a, an engineered composite product. And yes. then the, the natural version is actually even more perfect than this thing that's in theory quite uniform. Yes, we really choose the wood. We use our knowledge to really choose, oh, this grain. And maybe many people think like, okay, when it's natural, just put it there and it's nice. Well, earth is also natural, but you also need to compose it nicely for it to be, for example, a, a nice chair. So we really pay attention, oh, is this grain of this wood nice next to each other? But we don't throw so much. There is a lot of that dialogue between us, human, and the wood and the nature. It's beautiful that this dialogue is very clear as part of your design process. You've mentioned a few times that you're located in Bali and that is a place for often a holiday mindset. So how has the pandemic been for you? 
the travel that was the lifeblood of the tourist industry has obviously come to a bit of a halt. But is that something that is maybe welcome to have even a little bit more pause and space to work? Or does it feel like it's a lonely time and you're looking forward to travel being possible and visitors picking up again? For me, I am actually quite introvert. Also before pandemic, I don't really see people so much. For me, it's totally fine. The only thing that I don't really like about it is just I cannot really be in the production or I cannot be near the booth as much as before. So that makes me a bit sad. And for the island itself, to be honest, I think everybody are also sad because their life is kind of dependent on the tourism. I'm quite sensitive as well. So kind of surrounded by this collective sadness and anxiousness actually also influenced me. I think I'm becoming much more scared about many things, which I used to be very fearless, but I'm trying now to overcome it. I think I have to say that it's pretty normal to feel scared, but should not give up to that fear. I agree completely. I mean, these are very difficult and trying times and, you know, whether or not it's sort of visibly impacting your immediate surroundings or not, there's just this global anxiety that I think we're all a part of. But then in many ways, I think it also makes people more mindful of how fortunate we are to have largely lived during periods of peace and relative prosperity and that this is part of the balance of of various life cycles and natural cycles and that you do have to take the slightly scary and discouraging moments as part of this overall rhythm that we're part of. Yes, but I am also actually a bit worried in terms of furniture and uh, let's say products. It's very good because people stay at home, so they buy more and more and more product, but that also makes me worried. So what happened when the people buy more and more and more and more and more, because instead of clothes, they're buying like home product, but it's always about consuming, right? So after that, what will happen after the pandemic when people go back to work? They're going to sell, they're going to throw it away and create more waste to the earth. So I was also worried about that. The business was not influenced by the pandemic, maybe just a bit, but that also makes me worry. It's like in this kind of pandemic, I do wish people would sort of do nothing. If nobody do anything in two years, I think it would have been perfect. But we are human, we are not perfect and life is not perfect. So <laughs> that's another aspect that I was worried during pandemic. Always the consumerism, actually, it never stopped. It just take another form. Yeah, and this is also something that we should all take to heart as things do start to open up. Thank you, Eva, for your time and insights. Thank you for having me. The CADcast is an initiative by the Center for Asian Art and Design, CAD, an interdisciplinary research center of the School of Art, Design, and Media at NTU. CAD explores inter, trans, and post-disciplinary issues in art, design, and media connected to Asian history and culture. The center addresses a broad geography, including the Middle East, Central Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and East Asia, as well as the global diaspora. Research and educational programming connects to the humanities, social sciences, fine arts, performing arts, and design, including the built environment, connecting research and practice in these areas. You've been listening to our fifth and final episode of this inaugural season, a conversation with designer Eva Natasa, who joined us from Ubud, Bali, Indonesia. 